With the second pick in the 2017 NFL Draft, the Chicago Bears select Mitchell Trubisky, quarterback, North Carolina. Andrew Dowdy here on the midweek episode of the High Motor Podcast. We should have been sitting here previewing Final Four weekend down there in Atlanta, but now we are just three weeks out from the NFL Draft. We know that's happening. What what we don't know, nor should we really know this far out, if the college football season will happen as scheduled now less than five months out from week zero. We don't know if that'll happen, if some games will be canceled, if some games will be moved, if the entire season will be canceled, if fans won't be allowed at games. And with those unknowns, specifically going off of something that Ralph Russo of the Associated Press, he re- he reported last week, he tweeted that, he was told by an FBS AD running through different scenarios for their program, you know, take away one home game, take away two home games, no fans, run through some scenarios. And and one of those, like I said, was preparing for what if we lose one game? What if we lose two games? So I took that second part and I ran with it this week. And I said, what if every FBS team, all 130 FBS teams lost two games from their 2020 schedule? No more, no less. Could that work? I don't even know what that really does. From my perspective, without knowing the details of it, I'm thinking maybe they start the season October 1st. They try to squeeze 10 games into into 10 weeks without a bye. Something like that. I don't see it as we're still going to start the season week zero or even week one and then play 10 games and chop up extra buys. I don't see what that would happen or even moving it back a week or two. So from my perspective, when you say wipe out two games, I'm thinking start October 1st, start October 15th, try to jam 10 games in, move conference championships around, move bowl games around. But anyways, anyways, I ran through every team's schedule and wiped out two games. And this is way harder than it sounds. When I sat down to do this, I'm thinking, won't be too bad. You just take off the FCS games, you take off those crappy opponents, but this isn't just pulling up like Arizona's schedule and saying goodbye Hawaii in week one, goodbye Portland State in week two. Every single game and every single opponent must match up. And I published my proposal of two games for every team. I published that on Tuesday morning, tweeted it out. Go to at a Dowdy 88 also from the podcast account, at High Motor Pod. Really curious some opinions on that. Especially if you, let's say you're Army. Let's say you're an Army fan. If you can't live without... Um, like, for example, in my proposal, I had to cancel the Oklahoma home game. So this was a home-and-home home for them. They played down there in Norman two years ago, almost lost, almost won that game in overtime. Let's say you don't want to cancel the Oklahoma home game because that's a big one. If you're Army, how can you make that work not just for you, Army? It's easy to work for you, Army, and independent. You wipe out Bucknell and Princeton. That's easy. But then how does that work for Oklahoma? And then how does that work for whatever Oklahoma opponents you're wiping out instead? So check it out. I'm curious what everybody thinks on that on Twitter at adowdy 88 Right now on this episode, it's going to be another NFL draft teleconference. It sounds like people enjoy hearing those. And with this one with Mel Kuyper Jr., I had to cut out the Tua questions. And I'm sorry for that because usually I air the entire call, but I cut out most of them. I think... 
There might still be one in there, maybe two at the most. But it's constant. It was constant on this call. And I get that it's a huge piece of the NFL draft. I get that it's a huge domino here. But too many questions. It was way too many questions on Tua. Too many speculation questions. Too many, what do you think of Tua's workout video from last week? That kind of stuff. And the insight that Mel has is no different than the insight of any any other draft analyst. So instead of that, let's talk about Jerry Judy versus CeeDee Lamb. Let's talk about players that were hurt the most from no pro days. Let's talk about players that might have benefited from no pro days, benefited from the abbreviated draft process. Let's talk about trade scenarios. Let's let's keep the two a talk to a minimum and talk about some other things here. And then this weekend, Chase Kitty and I will be back for some chatter on the High Motor Podcast. But but enjoy this NFL draft call of Mel Kuyper Jr. and have a wonderful rest of your week. If you would allow trades in your mock, what scenarios do you see for the Giants? Well, I think Detroit at three, I could have projected a trade up to, to Detroit, but we don't know yet. The medical on Tua, it's going to be difficult, obviously, with the current situation. Uh, this is a year where you would need all of the medical that you can get, all the meetings you can get, all the things you need in terms of due diligence on Tua with the medical, and you're not going to have that opportunity. So is the team going to trade up without that type of information? We'll see. But you could have done that, expecting somebody to move up to get either Tua or Herbert. Uh, three, four would be that spot. I don't see another player to move up to get other than the quarterback. Uh, at that particular point. So, uh, you know, if you're Detroit, it would be a great opportunity. You go from three to five and still get Jeff Okuda, the cornerback, Ohio State, or Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker for Clemson. You're not going to lose anything if you're the Lions. I made that point yesterday. And if you're in Miami and you feel you need to move up for two or the Chargers or whoever it may be, uh, you know, the Vegas Raiders, things like that, if the team wants to move up and get two and get ahead of Miami, then they would do that. But right now it's a lot of, of question marks because of the lack of information and things like that from a medical standpoint. I saw a little bit of Tua yesterday, that 10-second clip, but that's going to make it tough. Do you want to obviously give up draft choices to move up for a quarterback? No, he has the, the question with the three lower extremity injuries, but also has the durability concern even moving forward. Now, I see you have Chase Young, number one, and Jeff Okuda, number three. Just how good a prospects are they? Are there really any weaknesses in their game, and is there a comparison with either of those guys on the NFL level? Yeah, with the Young, you, you would expect him to be uh, the, the, the like I say, I've said this two years ago, everybody's kind of used that term, game wrecker, which is what he is. Um, you know, he wasn't the last three games. That's the only thing, really, though, with him. He didn't play uh, that dominant brand of football in the final three games after the suspension. Now, I don't know if he was protecting himself with injury or what have you, but he wasn't. Now, had he, had he dominated in those three games, I really contend it had been in the discussion to be the number one pick overall. Uh, made it a little more difficult to say Burrow was a locked uh, pick at number one for Cincinnati, but that didn't happen, and it made it easier for the Bengals. Uh, I think in terms of Okuda, uh, he, to me, is, is what Stephon Gilmore was coming out, what Patrick Peterson was coming out. He's going to be expected to be one of the best cornerbacks in this league. And he has that skill set. He has the mindset for it. He's a very aggressive player, um, good tackler. Uh, yeah, I think he's not too handsy in coverage, even though he is aggressive, which I like that because you don't want to see penalties. With that, you can't get away with those things in the NFL you get away with in college. Uh, so both those kids are up at the top of the board for a reason. They're the two, two of the dominant players in this draft, and they're going to be expected to be two of the best players, obviously, coming out of this draft on either side of the ball. Who the most NFL-ready prospects you are and uh, just kind of what could separate those guys from the rest of the pack? 
Well, uh, yeah, you expect everybody to be somewhat NFL-ready, uh, the way the game's played now. But uh, certainly, I think Isaiah Simmons, with the versatility he has, would be the number one guy on that list because he can run, he can cover. I mean, he covers like a safety corner. He can get after the quarterback. Uh, I think he would be the one guy you would just highlight because he's so versatile. Uh, I think he would be the most so-called NFL-ready uh, player. And I always think Derek Brown went back for his final year at Auburn. He could have come out last year. So I think uh, he got another year of experience, uh, did a great job at Auburn. I think Derek Brown, you know what you're getting out of the defensive tackle from Auburn for that reason. Uh, and then obviously you think about uh, you know a guy like uh, Jedrick Wills Jr., the right tackle from Alabama. He's a solid player. He's technically sound. He was consistent. Uh, you know he didn't have any hiccups at right tackle this year. Um, he's the kind of guy who's a plug and play right tackle. So you know, and there's others, but I think that the top of the list would be Isaiah Simmons. Yeah, Mel. I was just curious with Jake Fromm's range being late second to mid third. Would he have, you know, did he make the right decision coming out, or was the sample size of 42 college starts enough for him to enter the draft as a junior? Yeah, that's a tough one. See, so you, you, you know, you come out, you figure, okay, I'm going to lose our two, the two bookend tackles. Isaiah Wilson also came out. You know, you think about what Pickens can be as a sophomore. That's a big plus moving forward. Uh, but Blaylock was coming off the injury. He didn't have DeAndre Swift. He moved, leaves. So there was reasons to stay, reasons to leave. Uh, the arm strength you would hope would improve a little bit when he's a senior. But like I said, he wouldn't have the offensive line that he had this year in front of him with losing the two bookends. So, uh, but uh, you, know, you hope once you get him in the NFL, the arm strength will improve. We saw evidence of a, a lack of big-time arm strength, which we knew was a problem at the combine. He had trouble making some of those throws that you need to make. So I think uh, right now he could end up being, if you look at the, you know, the quarterbacks, the way they stack up, he could be the, the seventh quarterback drafted uh, behind even uh, Jalen Hurts from Oklahoma. Uh, but that doesn't mean he can't play in the league. It's just his arm strength is the big question. I think people want to see, is he going to be Aaron Murray? Is he going to be Eric Zier? Or is he going to be Andy Dalton? Or is he going to be somewhere in between? That, that's the big debate in, in these NFL draft discussions when they're talking about these teams and the quarterback they're going to take, say, in the third round, which is what I expect for Fromm to be a, a third-round quarterback. Hi, Mel. I wanted to ask about the two Iowa Hawkeyes expected to be taken in the first round. Uh, what, in your analysis, has moved Tristan Wirfs up to your number one offensive tackle off your, in your mock draft? And with Epinesi, you've got him uh, sliding to 25 with the Vikings. What are GMs saying about his combine performance, and could he slide out of the first round entirely? In terms of Wirfs, uh, he's the right tackle who's played, obviously, you know, two games at left tackle, and I thought did a pretty good job. Uh, at Arizona, they could use help at right tackle immediately if you deem him the best right tackle. And you talk to people in the league about that. That's all. This is not based on what I think. This is what the league thinks. So that's when you talk to your friends in the league, and that's what you get for a mock draft. That's what a mock draft is all about. So it's not me. It's not like it's anything I have rated. I, I don't have Wirfs as the top tackle, but uh, I think for Arizona, it'd be a good fit once they got DeAndre Hopkins. They don't need the wide receiver there. There as, as much as they did. Uh, so you take C.D. Lamb, say, out of there, would have been reunited with Kyler Murray, and you put in Tristan Wirfs. In terms of, uh, of Epinesa, he's dropped a bit, obviously, when you talk about 40 time. That usually conveys to a pass rusher in the NFL. The great thing about Epinesa, you can kick him inside, third down. He can be an inside guy there, an inside presence. He has versatility, had great production against pretty good offensive tackles late in the year. Uh, you know, Austin Jackson, he dominated from USC. So I think he's a late one at worst, early two. I think he'd be a real good fit for Minnesota. Minnesota, they lose Everson Griffin in free agency. They pick a 25. That's where I have him going. But I'd say at worst, an early second. Tua's videos have shown major progress, and do you think they've changed anybody's mind as far as taking him, moving up to take him in the draft? And also, where do you see Cole McDonald from Hawaii going in the draft? 
Yeah, in terms of two, I yeah, you know, it's, it's a, it was a quick video. It's nice to see. Um, uh, teams now don't have a lot to go by, so that's certainly something that makes you promising. It's going to be very interesting with an April twenty third draft coming up in less than now what about a month? Uh, you know, what's going to happen there? Whether like I say a team's going to trade up to get a quarterback that has an iffy situation medically coming off that injury, and then there's the durability concern, which you can't predict how that's going to go, even once he's healthy. In terms of Cole McDonald, uh, I think people want to adjust the little things mechanically. Uh, he certainly has the arm. Uh, you saw him at Hawaii. He has some ups and downs and some, you know, some inconsistency, but when he was at his best, he looked like a draftable quarterback. Uh, I think he could go late, if not as a priority free agent, but he's in the mix to be. Uh, I think on my list, he's the 13th best quarterback, which means probably undrafted, but if somebody has him at, at eight, say nine or ten on that list, maybe he gets into the sixth, seventh round area. Mel, with regard to the Chicago Bears and their limited picks, especially in the first four rounds. What would you say is the best-case scenario for them, uh, particularly with those two second-round picks? And then a, a separate question, I'd like to hear your thoughts on whether or not you think they should postpone the draft. All right, in terms of the Bears, um, you know, I think when you look at what they've done in free agency, uh, what they could do now, I mean, they, they've added some pieces, uh, you know, and then we'll see what Foles, what happens with Foles with Trubisky. But with two second-round picks, it's, it's a pretty good opportunity. This is a, a deep draft in a lot of spots. Uh, there's no doubt about that. You're talking about a pick from the Raiders at, uh, at 43. So I would say right now, when you look at the needs of this football team and what's out there, if you can add a receiver, there's a lot of depth at wide receiver. If you can add an offensive tackle, there's the and corner. Uh, like I said, the wide receiver position in me is the strongest in this draft. Uh, LaVisca Chenault Jr. could be there in the second round out of Colorado. It looked like he was a first until he had to, you know, obviously an injury question. Michael Pittman Jr. USC could be there in the second. Uh, Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State could be there in the second. K.J. Hamler, Penn State could be there in the second. So there's going to be some great opportunities because of the depth uh, to get some really good players in that second, third round area at those positions. In terms of delaying, I would move forward with it. I think everybody needs normalcy to set in. We, we do keep doing the radio we're doing all the draft stuff, the mocks, everything's going along. Free agency went along as scheduled, even though everything wasn't perfect and ideal. We see players moving all over the place, trades being made, uh, everything's being done. The draft can be done, obviously, uh, without having everybody together. No teams go to the draft anyway. Uh, it's just everything's going to be different, and we have to adjust it. There's a lot more important things going on, obviously, than, than the NFL draft. Uh, and everybody's trying to deal with the health of their families and trying to get through this the best they can. I think the NFL can get through it. I think it's important, to, like I said, give people something to, to focus on and occupy their minds and have something to, as kind of a, an escape uh, during these, these trying times when everybody's trying to, to deal with uh, something much, much, much bigger than what happens with the NFL draft. So I would think um, moving forward, April 23rd, 24th, 25th, is something we're hopeful happens. So, uh, so I had a question about three uh, Boise State prospects. First, Curtis Weaver uh, seemed like a lock in the, to be a first-round pick early in the process has kind of slipped recently. Uh, what, if anything, can he do to get back into the first round? Uh, the second question is uh, about Ezra Cleveland, the offensive tackle. Did he make himself a first-round lock with his combine performance? And the third was about wide receiver John Hightower. He ran a 4-4-3 at the combine. Was that enough to get him drafted? Yes, uh, first for Hightower, yes it was. He uh, obviously has talent. He flashed at it at Boise State. Uh, you know, to me, he's a fifth, sixth-round pick, and that's only because of the great depth at wide receiver. And then a draft that wasn't strong at wide receiver, he'd probably be in the fourth-round discussion. So, yes, I think he's a day-three pick who has a chance to make the team and contribute as a fourth or fifth receiver. Cleveland had a great combine. One of the heels of a really good career as a left tackle. Now, I projected him to Tennessee would be a right tackle there, uh, filling in, uh, taking over for Jack Conklin and moved on to Cleveland in free agency. Uh, I think 
think you look at, at Cleveland as a guy who's moved up. I think he's at worst. I have him in late first. I think he's at worst in early second. Uh, right now, when you look at when you stack the offensive tackles on the board, uh, he's moved up to the point where he's the sixth guy at worst, the seventh or eighth. Often I have him at six. Some may have him at seven or eight. That puts him in the second. If I have him, where I have him at six, it puts him in the late first, ahead of Austin Jackson from USC and ahead of Isaiah Wilson from Georgia. Uh, you know, I think in terms of Weaver, you know, he's the two games. He had some dominant games, but it was against lesser competition. A lot of his sacks came in those two games. Like it's against foes that aren't that strong. Um, I saw him neutralize some. He doesn't have tremendous ability to, to close, and, and obviously the speed factor is an issue with pass rushers. Uh, I think he's probably right now a third-round pick who could be in the mid to late second. Uh, where I've been rated right now, he's probably a late second, early third. As you weigh Judy versus Lamb there, potentially for the Jets at 11 with Anderson gone, which do you think is a, who do you think is a better fit for Adam Gase's offense? And then also potentially do you think Thomas could be an option there for them to tackle instead of Wills? I know you projected Wills there, but what about Thomas maybe? Thomas, is just, I think it's just a little high. And this is, again, talking to people. It's a, it seems a little high for Thomas, who is now, like I say, the fourth offensive tackle with most you speak to. Um, so that would be, uh, you know, if you, but if you need a left tackle, he's the second best left tackle. Now, they brought in George Fant. Right tackle is an issue. If you say we're going to move Chuma Doga to guard, uh, if you can feel you can get by with the, the right tackle with Doga, then you would draft a wide receiver in Judy. Judy, to me, in the slot is very tough to deal with. Obviously, the route running ability, he's very, very effective there. His hands, he had a couple drops, but overall he's very consistent. Um, great attitude, great approach. C.D. Lamb, 50% of his yards came in the slot, 50% of his yards came on the outside. He, only, he ran 4-5-1. It's the only somebody, you know, Henry Ruggs ran 4-2-7. So you knew that, that Lamb wasn't going to be the speed burner, but speed for wide receivers is very overrated. It's how you apply it on the field. He does. Uh, he's got tremendous stiff arm. He's got great run after the catch ability, which is his strength. He's a powerhouse with the ball in his hands. He, he just he breaks tackles. He runs hard. He, he's quick. He's explosive. Um, you know, I think that's, that's a tough call. That that would be whoever they prefer. I mean, you could go Judy, you could go Lamb. Uh, Henry Ruggs III is right there with some teams as a top receiver. So uh, that's a call right there. They're going to have to make uh, Joe Douglas and his scouts there uh, with Phil Savage in that group. So uh, I would project Judy. I almost went with Judy. Obviously, Robbie Anderson signed right after uh, I had the mock came out with the Carolina Panthers. So if you if I had to redo it right now, that, that would be Judy or Lamb. I would probably go Judy. Hey, Mel, um, University of Miami had quite a few early entrants who are uh, not necessarily projected as you know, first two-day picks. Kind of curious what you, what kind of round projections you have for that group of uh, DJ Dallas, Jeff Thomas, uh, Trajan Bandy, John Garvin? Yeah, I think in terms of uh, the the guys that are at the top, I think I think Jeff Thomas to me is going to make a team as a, as a, a guy who can, can get it done uh, as a wide receiving entity. I think he's probably better project right now, more of a fifth rounder. K.J. Osborne as well, a wide receiver, a day three pick. Uh, D.J. Dallas I have right now is a day three pick. Uh, Garvin as well, day three. Bandy, early day three. And then Shaq Quarterman I have right now, fourth, fifth round as well. So you're going to see, I think, a host of Hurricanes uh, go on day three. I think and Thomas as well is going to be a day three pick. So uh, I don't see – to see anybody in the third round out of that group would be very debatable. I don't see it happening right now. Uh, maybe if you say a pass rusher potentially like Garvin, maybe somebody reaches a bit there. I don't think that's going to happen, though. So I would say you got uh, you know, right there with five guys are going to go on the, on the, the Saturday of the draft. That would be April 25th. Hi, Mel. Of the, of the Georgia players who attended the combine, who helped and hurt themselves the most, 
and specifically with the current situation, how much was Jake Crump hurt by teams canceling their face-to-face interviews? Well, I think Jake, like you heard, I think the, the, the lack of arm strength showed there, and I think that was what, you know, I think you know, allowed maybe Jalen Hurts to move ahead. Jacob Eason was ahead anyway, but uh, it was kind of a duel between the, do you like Eason, do you like Fromm, do you like the big arm, do you like the guy who's a little bit more consistent in, in terms of his accuracy, even though his accuracy went down on numbers, that was because he lost all his receivers Fromm did this year, which is something that they have to defend him with. He lost everybody uh, at, at the receiver position, so... To me, uh, from the arm strength is the big issue there. In terms of, of helping themselves, I think when you look at, at Georgia right now, I think Andrew Thomas is a guy that I think people are going back to the tape and they like what they say. That's what I do. You go back and you watch him. He plays a little high. You know, he needs to obviously uh, get some technique work in the NFL, but he's a good football player. I mean, he keeps his frame between the defensive end and the quarterback on a consistent basis. He slides. He's got good feet. Uh, he has some power in terms of the run blocking. Uh, I think Andrew Thomas, when people go Go back and just evaluate. I mean, you got plenty of time to do that now. That's what they're doing. There's no pro day. So when you go back to film evaluation, how guys actually played are going to be as a, a very important this year. And I think for Andrew Thomas, that helps him. That's why I have him right now at, at 14 to Tampa Bay. And at worst, I think he goes Miami at 18. Yeah, Mel, could you just let me know your thoughts on how the dynamics of Buffalo's draft approach has changed with the acquisition of Stephon Diggs and loading up on defensive line and free agency and, and what you think could be a value for them on day two, you know, with picks 54 and 86, knowing they don't have a one anymore. Yeah, I think the edge rusher, I think that's something where you get Addison steps in, but could you add somebody there? Uh, you mentioned the defensive lineman they brought in, Jefferson Butler as well, adding digs, getting Klein uh, at that uh, linebacker position. Uh, to me, I think you look at, at Buffalo right now, uh, you know, they don't really need a lot. I mean, they're, they're on paper, they're right there where they need to be. They're a playoff team last year. They certainly have helped Josh Allen with the addition of digs. Uh, another offensive tackle certainly wouldn't hurt uh, to put into that mix there. Uh, maybe a running back at some point. There's some depth at that position as well. Uh, I think you look at a Zach Moss from Utah, a Cam Akers, Florida State, A.J. Dillon, Boston College has moved up, and Joshua Kelly from UCLA is a little underrated. Darrington Evans from Appalachian State is another guy. Remember, he got uh, out of Florida Atlantic last year uh, with, uh, with Singletary. Evans, I think, is going to be a good player coming out of App State. Uh, some edge rushers we can always find. The Ravens have always done a great job finding edge rushers late, like Judon and uh, Zadarius Smith uh, and, and Pernell McPhee. Uh, and I think you can find some guys late uh, this year as well. Have to see where does Jonathan Grenard, where does he go out of Florida after not running great at the combine? How far does he drop? He's a good player. Uh, Jabari Zuniga out of Florida has good pass rush ability. Uh, Bradley and I from Utah, where does he fall uh, coming out of Utah? So. Julian O'Quara, Notre Dame, had the injury this year, but he, he played really well two years ago. Uh, so I think there's some pass rushers that I think they could find on day three that can help their football team. 49ers at number 13, you had touched on the, the top three wide receivers. Do you see a separation between those three, at least in your mind, or will it kind of come down to you know what flavor you might prefer um, you know, as far as different teams go? Yeah, that's basically it. I mean, we've had this before, you know, during the Altoon draft and you about Eddie Brown and Jerry Rice and all those different years when they had, had three receivers with Michael Irvin and all those different receivers in drafts. We've had three that were very hard to separate, and that's the thing with Judy, Lamb, and Ruggs. I think they're their three right now. I think they've kind of – T. Higgins, I would put in that group as well to an extent. Uh, he ran pretty good at his pro day. It was one of the last pro days that, that happened. Uh, he's obviously – you would like to see them be a little more physical in those final two 
two playoff games. But uh, Higgins is probably right now, to me, at four. I think it would be – if I had to stack them right now, it would be Judy, Lamb, Ruggs, Higgins, then Jefferson from LSU, uh, Mims from Baylor. Uh, and, of course, uh, then if you talk about you know where a guy might come off the board, maybe Chase Claypool from Notre Dame would be next as a guy who could be an H-back move tight end as well. But I would still go Judy, Lamb, Ruggs, Higgins in that order. Hey, Mel, I'm going to ask you a big-picture question. Um, when the com- combine came, there wasn't a thought that there would be no pro days. So who does um, not having a pro day based on their combine performance, who does that hurt the most? And conversely, who might it help the most? Okay. Good question. Uh, that's a very good question because I think the guys that, that weren't able to go to the combine were hurt by not having pro days, obviously, and there were some good players. Uh, if you look at that list of, un- of guys that weren't at the combine, there were some some pretty good football players did not get invited. So those guys would be hurt as well. But I think K.J. Hamler not having a pro day at Penn State where he needed to catch the ball effectively. You know, he had some drops at Penn State. So we know he's fast. Know how athletic he is, and he's great in space. But I think not having excuse me, a pro day for him would hurt him a little bit. And then obviously you think about guys that help themselves uh, the most at the combine. I think Makai Becton, the offensive tackle from Louisville, uh, moved up to at least get himself in discussion for the fourth pick overall. Uh, you, you seemed a little lukewarm on on Peoples Jones heading into the combine, and I was wondering if, if if that changed for you a little bit based on on the numbers he put up, and and also sort of piggybacking on what Suzanne asked, like how how does this hurt this situation hurt someone like a Mike Dana who's a transfer at Michigan, and a, and a Jordan Glasgow who's trying to to you know get on with the team. Yeah, I think those guys are affected. I think that, like I said, there's always that 20 to 25 players that, you know, look at the combine and you say, oh, after the combine's over, they get the pro day guys who, who really have a chance to shine and they go back and they make people, they force people to go back and look at tape on them. And they end up getting drafted. People get the, uh, you know, Kevin Bayard from Middle Tennessee State wasn't even uh, at the combine yet. He's had a great pro career. It was like a fourth round pick. We've had second round picks not go to the combine, third round picks not be at the combine. This year, that will affect that. People's Jones, yeah, I just kept waiting for dominance, actually. I mean, 44 and a half vertical, runs under 4.5 at 6.1 and a half, 2.12. He's got that catch radius you want. He's got big hands. Uh, he just has to show maybe a little bit more of a want to. I, I, people can't blame Shea Patterson. I mean, Shea Patterson was a pretty good college quarterback, not, not elite, but it wasn't like he didn't have anybody throwing the ball. And other receivers outproduced him. I mean, look at the other guys. They, they put up bigger numbers, better average per catch, bigger, better numbers. So I think you can't excuse it all away. And, I just would have liked to see a little bit more assertiveness, a little more consistency, um, and, and, and play to the level of those, those computer numbers. And I didn't see that. Todd's higher on him than I am. I have a fourth-round grade on Peoples-Jones. Todd can speak to what he has now. But I think when you get into round four, round five, if he's there, and I don't think he will be, but if he got to the fourth, fifth round, you roll the dice, it'll all come together for him. But any higher, I think it would be you're basing it on the talent. And the talent, I mean, he's got first-round talent. But he didn't play like a first-rounder. And that, you say, the underachiever label, whatever you want to call it. But I always say I have a fourth, fifth-round grade on him right now. Now I want to follow up on two quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts, where you mentioned him a couple times, but if you could expand on him. And are we sure now after the combine that he is a quarterback and not going to be asked to do a lot of other things? Like can he be Lamar Jackson more than Taysom Hill and then Jordan Love and where he stands? 
See, in terms of uh, of where he is right now, it hurts. I think he's a late second, early to mid third. Um, I thought that back in September, October, and when people were talking about fifth, sixth round for him, I thought that was way, way low. Um, you know, he's he threw the ball well at the combine. He had a heck of a career at two different big time programs. He won a ton of games. He rushed for a lot of yards. He scored a ton of touchdowns. He he did everything. He can he can he obviously you know, they'll say, well, you know, some things he's a tweak. He can hold the ball. This and that. bottom line is, you know, this kid produced, and he's a great kid. Talk about loyalty. Talk about a guy who can go back to two big schools and be, be revered as a guy that can uh, be the hero of those two programs and what he's meant to those two programs at Alabama and Oklahoma. Uh, I think, like I say, late second, early third. And then the Taysom Hill, he's considered the quarterback of the future in New Orleans. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's realized what Taysom Hill's done since he came out of BYU. And I think that role, and I've said this, he can be a contributor, Hurts can be, as a rookie with those types of packages that you can put in there. And you can't do that with some of these other quarterbacks like Fromm and some of these other guys. So he gives you immediate production, immediate contribution as a rookie uh, that others will not be able to do, regardless of who he goes to. You can have a great starter and still use Hurts in packages. So that's going to help him become, I think, a late second, early third round pick. And Jordan Love, I thought about 12 to the Raiders, had him at 23 to New England. Once you get past the Raiders, you get in the never-never land. Uh, are the Raiders going to try to help Carr and get players like C.J. Henderson and a receiver, maybe like T. Higgins or C.D. Lamb or somebody like that? Or are they going to go and get the quarterback who could be uh, maybe an improvement over what they have? And, and, and Carr and Mariota is the backup. In Jordan Love, John Gruden always screamed us at the meetings about not having a hand-picked quarterback. And, uh, you know, you look at that, and, and John, can he, is he going to take that hand-picked first-round quarterback I'm talking about? First-round quarterback and Jordan Love, who some have compared to a young Patrick Mahomes. I don't buy into that. I like Love, but I don't think he's to that level. But a lot of people had questions about Mahomes coming out. I didn't, but some did. So, again, uh, I'm realistic about Love. I think at 12, he makes sense. At 19, where the Raiders have another pick, he would make sense, certainly at 23, to New England. I just think you can't excuse away some of the things that happened in a couple games this year where you know he, he was they were the better team, even though they lost players, and he still struggled against teams that were, like, were combined uh, – Colorado State, New Mexico combined 6-18. and 18. He struggled in those two games. So, to me, the inconsistency this year is a concern. Um, 20 touchdowns, 17 picks. But he lost nine starters. He lost four starters on the line. He lost his top five receivers. And he lost Darwin Thompson. So, I understood that going into the year that his numbers would be down. It was the same thing with Darnold and Allen when they went into their final year. So, you get that. You just wish he was more consistent against opponents that – weren't very good. And that's the thing. He didn't play over the last two years. Many opponents were of top quality. So the schedule was very easy. And uh, unlike Herbert, who played a much tougher schedule. So that's why I separated with Herbert over Love. But I do think at 12, he would be maybe in the discussion or strongly in the discussion for the Las Vegas Raiders. Hey, Mel, uh, Tom Flacco, Joe's younger brother, is a small school prospect. Uh, What's been your evaluation of him? And what do you think his chances of uh, maybe even getting drafted? I don't think so, uh, James. I think that's too many uh, quarterbacks, too strong to draft at a lot of positions. Um, he reminds me a lot of David Blau. If you saw David Blau play at Purdue and make the Detroit Lions, I think he's a, kind of, I wouldn't say a lesser version, but you know, coming out of Towson obviously would be from a guy who played in the Big Ten at Purdue, even though Tom was at Western Michigan and Rutgers prior to this. But I think you look at the height and then you look at, you know, decent arm, not a great arm. He can move. You know that. He's an athlete. was a baseball player as well. I've watched him a lot, obviously, watching a lot of Towson games games. Um I see a little David Blau in him, and Blau maybe pushed his way on him. Actually played it with Detroit Lions, but I wouldn't go that far. But that's a, if you want to comp, that's who it would be. Like I say, Blau was undrafted, so I'd say he's going to have to battle his way into a camp as a priority undrafted free agent if a team views him that way, and then see what happens.
No, Notre Dame's two edge players, Julian Okwara and Khaled Kareem, weren't able to do things at the combine. They were planning to do them on pro day without medical checks or that pro day. How's that going to affect those two? And where did you have Chase Claypool projected before the senior bowl and the combine? Yeah, he had a second-round grade at worst, an early third, and he now and he's in the late first, early second. So the combine really, uh, when the heels of everything is said and a, and a solid career, uh, allowed him to be where he is right now. It's rare, and he also has dual versatility. If you're looking for a, a move tight end, he could be that guy at six four and a quarter, almost 240 pounds, you know, running four four two over a 40 vertical. Those are extraordinary numbers. They're historically great numbers for a kid his size. That's why I think Green Bay, who's looking for tight end and a receiver. You get a combo guy uh, in Claypool. In terms of O'Quarr, you got to go back two years ago when he was really good. And if you look at the tape there, he's a, he, you know, he had first-round tape. He had some first, second, early, second-round tape. So I would think if you want a pass rusher with some length, you get a look at him in the late second, early third. Kareem as well had some solid tape. I think he's a, at worst a third-round pick. But I, I think O'Quarra is the guy that's very intriguing uh, to me. Anytime you get a pass rusher as you can get, and I've talked about the Ravens' ability uh, to get pass rushers in that, say, third-round area, uh, and that's where I think where O'Quara would go at 6'4 and change. Uh, he's got really long arms. Uh, you know, he has the, the sack production, and he's got the, the ability to be after the quarterback. I think if you can get him in the third round, O'Quara would be a really nice pick. Yeah, Mel, how likely is it that you think the Broncos would have to trade up from 15 to get one of those top three receivers? Uh, and if those guys are gone, is there value to pick a receiver, a different receiver there at 15, or would you wait till the second round? Good question. I think in terms of the 15th pick, I have rugs going there, as you saw, but that's with the Jets taking a tackle now. They got us some help. When Arizona made that move for Hopkins, that took maybe wide receiver off of eight. Okay, so then you say Jacksonville, they could. Don't think clearly. So the Jets did. So let's just say one of the other teams in the in the early portion did. Then then if you say the Jets do. Then you would have the third receiver going to the 49ers. Then you would have the fourth receiver going to Denver. So then you'd be into T. Higgins, whoever they like there, they like a receiver enough to take them there. So they just have to hope that nobody in the top ten takes a receiver. The, the Vikings potentially doing with their two first-round picks, number 22 and number 25. And what do you think of the possibility there's so much depth at wide receiver, maybe they don't take a receiver in the first round and – take uh, some guys at some other positions where there's maybe not as much depth. Yeah, that's always a possibility. And some of those other receivers that I like are Antonio Gibson from Memphis. is a really good football player. He's got great versatility as far as running back receiver. I use him on the jet sweeps. There's a lot of things you can do with him. So uh, he would be a guy to throw into that group and say, you know, he belongs solidly in the second round discussion. Uh, I think you look at Alin Bowden Jr. out of Kentucky with his versatility and play quarterback this year out of necessity. Uh, he would be a guy in the third round mix. Uh, I think a guy, if you want a guy that I think uh, Isaiah Coulter from Rhode Island. Watch a lot of him. He did the job against some big-time opponents this year at Rhode Island. I uh, tested well at the Combine, so Isaiah Coulter from Rhode Island could be a fourth or fifth-round receiver. In terms of the first round for the Vikings, if you look at needs, it's defensive end, offensive tackle, wide receiver. I have them taken a wide receiver at, at 22 and Denzel Mims from Baylor, who really benefited from the draft process in addition to having a great year. And then taking the, uh, the offensive defensive end, A.J. Epinesa uh, from Iowa. They could go at 25 with Josh Jones, the offensive tackle from Houston. They could go with Ezra Cleveland, the offensive tackle from Boise State. So there's going to be offensive tackle options available. I think at 25, a defensive end option with Epinesa. Uh, 
and then the wide receiver options at 22 or 25, whatever they deem uh, the guy that they really want, where's the best spot to get him, or wait until the second round or even the fourth round and get some. I think receiver, there's going to be, when you got 30 to 35 receivers with second, third round grades, there's going to be some fifth round receivers out of this group. And uh, you're going to see some really good players drop to the points where you never thought was possible. I didn't even mention uh, Jalen Rager from TCU in the second round. James Prochet from SMU is going to be a really good fifth-round pick for somebody. The other receiver at Rhode Island, Aaron Parker, is a late-rounder priority free agent can play. Uh, I mean, you're going to get guys coming in uh, that aren't even drafted that are going to make teams at wide receiver this year. Hey, Mel, I wanted to ask you about a couple of Auburn guys you have in your position rankings. Um, first off, uh, what is it about Noeg Benogany that makes him your number three corner? And then Marlon Davidson as the number four defensive end. What stands out about him? And you have three defensive ends going in the first round now. How close is he to kind of making that cut? Yeah, he was close. Uh, yeah, I think that when Davidson, late first, early to mid-second, uh, he's got versatility. You talked about the production, the senior bowl week. Although that adds up to him being signed. And that group isn't all that strong right now. So, you know, you look at, uh, at Yitor Gross Matos, he, I think he's solidly the third. After that, you, you're hard-pressed to find a fourth. After Davidson, I don't think there's a lot. Of, Alex Highsmith, a combo guy out of Charlotte, could have his hand on the ground, could play as an outside linebacker in a 3-4. Uh, there's really not much else there. So I think if you need one, you better take early. That helps Davidson. Maybe get into the late first, early second. Uh, Iguanagani, I like his versatility. I uh, think he helped out on special teams in a return game, obviously. Former wide receiver. He keeps getting better and better. His tackling improved. His instincts and coverage made the progress this year. He still has some work to do uh, in terms of his coverage technique, uh, but he's got awesome talent. And he, you keep seeing it. You, you just think he's just touched, touched the surface of what kind of player he can be at corner because of the limited experience being a former receiver. So I think he's in that late first round uh, you could debate whether he's a third corner. Uh, at worst, he's probably the fifth corner. Uh, Jalen Johnson, Utah, Jeff Gladney, TCU, uh, Trayvon Diggs, Alabama, Christian Fulton, LSU, H. A. Uh, uh, Terrell Clemson are in that group as well. Uh, but I think if you have him as the third or fourth corner, he's got to be in the late first-round discussion. You have the 49ers and the Chiefs, both at the end of the first round, uh, looking at cornerback as a potential big-time need area for them. Hey, Mel, uh, two things. I know you talked about Tua, but just to sort of put a bow on, on that, um, just given everything going on in the world, no physicals, no in-person meetings, uh, how likely do you think it is a team actually trades up for him or maybe even that he falls because of everything? And then two, if the Lions go with Okuda up top like you have in your mock, what position would be the sweet spot for them early in round two? You know, I think if you look at right now, I would think, you know, would you take, would you look at maybe an outside backer or an interior offensive lineman? I think that would be a spot to maybe look at uh, in round two. And I think if you look at guys could be there at that point. I like Robert Hunt, Louisiana Lafayette, as a tackle guard. Ben Bredesen, Michigan, is another one. Damian Lewis, LSU. Um, you know, so I think there's some options there uh, in terms of outside linebacker. I, I, I've mentioned some of those guys during the course of, of today, but I think a Zach Bond from Wisconsin, if he dropped down that far, uh, Josh Ushi from Michigan, uh, Lewis from Alabama would be another one. Um, there could be a possibility there. So I think in terms of Tua, uh, you know, I, I just think when you look at, at where he is right now, I don't think the, you know, I think medical and all, and all we obviously getting the, the, your medical and your, your doctors to sign off on him is so critical, and that's going to have to happen, obviously. I just have always thought that you medically redshirt him. You let him and his body heal. You don't expect him to play four of the top five most active winning as single callers in the NFL right now. Uh, the guys that are active playing, winning as quarterbacks, four of the five didn't play as a rookie. 
only one it did was Big Ben Roethlisberger. Okay, you look at the two guys that were the MVPs the last two years. Mahomes didn't play as a rookie; played in the final game. That was it. Like Lamar Jackson didn't play until you know he played late in his rookie year. Uh, so and then he, there's, there's the last two MVPs. So you know you would talk about now they were there was nothing medical about any of those guys. This is medical. Okay, and, and then you the addition of sitting and and watching and learning as a rookie, which has helped all those quarterbacks I mentioned. You say, well, that was a, a different era with some of those guys that are older. Wasn't a different era with uh, with uh, Patrick Mahomes. Wasn't a different era with Lamar Jackson. So and they didn't play right away. Mahomes didn't play at all as a rookie, and Jackson didn't play. I say as I say till later in the season. So I think medically redshirt him. That doesn't make. That is important because as long as the medical people sign off, uh, you know, that's not as critical if you go in with realistic expectations of what he's going to do as a rookie. I was just wondering, I've heard so much about this wide receiver class. What makes it so good? What puts it apart? And just historically, how much better is this group of wide receivers than maybe in previous draft classes? I'm sure. Well, it, it, it's the depth. And I think it, it's, it's seeing guys like, uh, you know, you think about a Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State who's a really good player, ran 4-5 out of 40 vertical, keeps getting better and better and better. Uh, if he's an early to mid second round pick, that's why you know, if you see some guys I mentioned, like an Isaiah Coulter from Rhode Island, if you can get him in the fourth round. If you can see an Antonio Gibson from Memphis in the third round. Uh, if you can get some of these guys late. Uh, you know, you're gonna like, where, where does a Colin Johnson from Texas go with his kind of size? Uh, where does a Devin Duvernay, a slot receiver out of Texas, where does he fall? I mentioned K.J. Hill, an overlooked guy from Ohio State. He's a really good player. You know, I mean, he doesn't have the elite numbers, but all he does is produce. Uh, you know, he's the kind of guy who could get lost in the shuffle again. And then you get the, the kind of, I would say, the talented guys who didn't put up the numbers expected, like a Donovan Peoples-Jones. Uh, a guy like Malcolm Perry from Navy, former quarterback, projected like Antoine Randall to a wide receiver position. You know, I haven't even mentioned uh, some guys like Quez Watkins from Southern Miss who came out early and tested well. So it's just the depth. All these guys that we're talking about, I didn't even mention a lot of guys. I mean, it goes, it goes easily. 35 to 40 deep in terms of guys who can play in this league. The Saints don't have a ton of needs per se, but do you see any specific positions that would make sense for them to address at the end of the first round? And then uh, what stands out to you about this LSU class? You know, in terms of, of the Saints, I still think linebacker is something they could address. Kenneth Murray uh, from Oklahoma, Patrick Queen uh, from LSU, Zach Bond from Wisconsin. There's going to be some linebackers where the Saints are picking. Uh, they're going to be really attractive. Uh, corner, if you want to know Iguobanahe there uh, from Auburn, that might be a little high. Uh, there's no, there's, it really, it's a drop-off after C.J. Henderson is at the second corner. So I don't know if they'll be able to see that as something. If you're picking 24, you want a guy that's in your top, say, 15 to 20 on the big board. I think that would be more inclined to be a linebacker like Murray or Queen or Bought. You know, at that particular uh, point in round one. In terms of LSU, I talked a lot about a lot of those guys. I haven't touched a lot about Jeff, Justin Jefferson, uh, the wide receiver. Had a great year. He became more consistent catching the ball. Uh, really benefited from Joe Brady's influence as well. Uh, ran four four three at the combine, uh, thirty seven and a half vertical on the heels of which you saw during his career and the improvement. I think he's solidly in that. I'd say for him, nineteen to the Raiders, twenty one to Philadelphia, twenty two, uh, you know, to Minnesota in that area for Justin Jefferson. And then Grant Delpit, the pro day was going to be important, obviously. We'll see what happens uh, in terms of Delpit and what he runs. But uh, didn't have the year expected. I think I, he's more of a mid to I'd say a, I'd say solid second rounder, at worst early third rounder for Delpit, who's dropped down a bit from where he was projected back in August. Yeah, hi, Mel. Do you see the Steelers getting a playmaker at 49? And what are some of the guys you think might be available to them there? 
Well, I think if you look at, at what they could be looking at in terms of uh, players, the way that you know, they think about the cornerback position, the you know, interior defensive tackle uh, at a running back, and I think that's where the running back depth will allow that to happen. Uh, like I say, Zach Moss from Utah, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire from LSU, uh, Keyshawn Vaughn, Vanderbilt. I mentioned Darrington Evans from Appalachian State. Uh, some defensive tackles, uh, you know, with Hargrave moving on. I think you look at, at guys like you know, Jordan Elliott, Missouri, Devon uh, Hamilton from Ohio State, I think uh, I think James Lynch from Baylor reminds me a lot of Dean Lowry when he came out of Northwestern. If you get him in early day three, uh, Neville Gallimore, Oklahoma, Ross Blacklock, TCU. There's some really good, I think, second Justin Matubike. Uh, Matubike from Texas A&M. If he doesn't go in the late first, he'd be a good second rounder. Gallimore's got a second round grade. Blacklock has a second, some think a first on Blacklock. Elliott's got a second round grade. Uh, say Lynch has a fourth round grade. Hamilton has a third round grade. So there's a lot of defensive tackles in this draft that could help the Steelers. Mel, have uh, current events or actions in free agency changed your thoughts on if the uh, Washington Redskins should draft Tua? You know, I think when you talk about what's happened there with Kyle Allen, obviously, uh, you know, being brought in, uh, it seems like Chase Young would be the guy. Uh, Tua's medical and the question marks there may prevent that from happening. Uh, it would be something in a perfect situation you would have thought would have been possible. Take Tua and then see what happens. But I think mean, Chase Young, uh, the great pass rusher, would make sense there. Hope that Dwayne Haskins is the guy. You brought in Kyle Allen, obviously, uh, with the familiarity there. Uh, I think you look at, at right now where the Redskins are in terms of a team. It, it revolves around you know, the offensive line doing their job with Haskins, uh, getting another receiver they should be able to benefit from this group, the strong group. And Terry McLaurin had a really impressive rookie year. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think in terms of the second pick now, I think Chase Young, you would almost lock it in. Mel, you talked a little bit about the quarterbacks who have benefited by sitting um, early on when they were drafted. Are there guys that you looked at back that you thought would have been good who maybe would have been able to benefit from that and, and playing right away had was detrimental to them? You know, it's an interesting question because every team's going to handle their their quarterbacks differently in terms of expectations. When you draft a guy like Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, one, two, they're going to have to play right away. And then, you know, other quarterbacks, if you draft them a little later, they have to wait. Even though you'll get Russell Wilson was a third round pick and they brought in Matt Flynn that same year. Look what happened there. Everything's different. Every, there's all different uh, situations and all. And some, some are a little more complicated because of changes in terms of coordinators and what have you during a quarterback quarterback's career that plays into how good that quarterback is. But I just think in terms of Tua, it's, it's pretty simple. The, the medical forces almost that to happen uh, this year. So, that, you know, I think in terms of, of what happens with, with Joe Burrow and then going to the Bengals, obviously, you know, Andy Dalton more than likely heading on somewhere in the trade. Uh, you think about where, uh, you know, quarterbacks can go in this draft after that. You, you look at the third quarterback and where the quarterbacks are going to be picked. You know, and the teams that may take him, Justin Herbert, if he goes to Miami or the Chargers, are they going to let him you know, sit, watch, and learn for a while. Jordan Love, if he goes to the Raiders, they have Derek Carr. That would be a great spot because he needs to sit. So I think Love would be in a good spot going to the Raiders. Herbert with the Chargers, they have Tyrod Taylor. Miami, would they let him wait and sit, watch, and learn? Burrow going to Cincinnati. So you can see some scenarios there where quarterbacks are going to have to play. Others, if they go, say, so if Love went to the Raiders, it would be a perfect scenario for him. Hi, Mel. Can you talk about what you've seen in Denzel Mims? and the potential he brings, and then whether he would be a good fit with the Eagles at 21. 
Yeah, Mims uh, with the kind of year he had. Um, uh, you think about you know all star scenarios going down and doing what he did there. You think about a four three eight forty, almost a forty or thirty eight and a half vertical uh, size, almost six three, almost two hundred and ten pounds. Uh, you put what you want to do is nail the process. Have the year all star combine, and if it all comes together positively, you're going to soar up the board, and he did. Uh, and it's some separation there after, people say, after the top three, and there is. I mean, after Judy, uh, and after Lamb, and after Ruggs, and T. Higgins, then you're looking for that fifth receiver. Justin Jefferson nailed the process as well. You know, he had the great year, then the great combine. Mims did as well. So I think Mims and Jefferson along with Higgins, are all vying for that fourth receiver off the board spot. Uh, and that's going to determine, like I say, the team you go to. You're talking about uh, several teams in that area needing wide receivers. I could see Dallas taking one, even though they got a lot of money wrapped up in Cooper. Uh, I could see certainly uh, Vegas taking one at 19. I could see Philadelphia, Minnesota. Uh, you can see certainly Minnesota 25, all looking at wide receivers. With Minnesota with those two picks, one of those two picks, you would have to think is a wide receiver. So I think there's a great spots for Mims, like I say, anywhere between 19 and, say, 25. Which linebackers do you kind of like in that second to third round range that maybe have a little bit more athletic ability, not finished products, but guys that can kind of move and have a lot of range? I would say Alex Highsmith from Charlotte gives you that combo guy uh, who tested pretty well um, and showed that Charlotte is a former walk-on of what he could do getting after the quarterback. He, he gives you dual versatility. Uh, so I think he's intriguing. I think Zach Bond uh, is a guy you can move around and get a lot of production as a pass rusher. Uh, you can do a lot of things with him inside, outside. I think he's certainly uh, one of the more versatile guys. I mentioned Julian O'Quara from Notre Dame as well. Uh, it's a guy that gives you that. Anthony Jennings from Alabama. Uh, would fall into that same category. So uh, those are some of the guys. I think Jonathan Grenard from Florida as well uh, would be a guy to look at if, you, if he drops a little bit because he didn't run as well as expected at the combine. As I mentioned, already mentioned Bradley and I from Utah. So those are some of the more versatile guys uh, that, that could give you a lot of uh, a flexibility once you bring him into the fold. Blacklock, Gladney, Rager, uh, it, it, who, who's most likely to maybe slip into the first round. And then uh, specifically with Rager, how hard is it to – uh, kind of scout and evaluate him when he had a true freshman quarterback in, in the passing offense, maybe wasn't on level with some of these other guys. Yeah, I think in terms of Rager, uh, you saw enough at TCU. I mean, he, he became a guy who you looked at and viewed as a, a fear factor player once he's in the NFL. Oh, that's how I would put him on my fear factor list. Uh, anytime you get a guy with his kind of athleticism, uh, I like the compact frame. I love his speed and his athleticism. Uh, to me, he's a second-round pick who's going to play and play a long time in this league and be highly productive. Uh, but Ross Blacklock, I think, has a chance to be a first. I didn't see the consistency in terms of sack production game in and game out. There were games he was a little too quiet, did a little too much hand fighting at the line of scrimmage. I didn't see the ability to get into the backfield and wreak havoc on a consistent basis with Blacklock. Todd's higher on Blacklock than I am. Uh, he thinks he's a first. I think he's a second. Uh, Gladney, I like. Uh, you know, people say he gets a little handsy at times, but hey, he was all, he, his coverage skills, his feet, his awareness, he, he wouldn't shock me if he went in the late first. I think more second round though for him. So I think Rager second, Gladney second. I think Blacklock second as well. As I said, Todd, I think had Black Lock in his first. DeAndre Swift, why do you have him the number one uh, running back? What sets him apart from the field, and is there a comp you can uh, hook us up with? Well, I think what sets him apart is the completeness. You know, as a runner, receiver, 
blocker and ball security. All four areas, he comes out on top ahead of J.K. Dobbins and Jonathan Taylor. Now, Dobbins is a fierce runner. I think he's the best running back, pure runner. He and Jonathan Taylor will be the two best pure runners. Uh, I think when you look at hands, Swift gets the edge over both. Ball security gets the edge over both. Even though I think Swift is a, uh, even though Dobbins is a better receiver right now than, than Taylor. Taylor needs to improve as a receiver and have better ball security. 18 fumbles, 15 lost at Wisconsin is a concern. He had the fumble against Oregon in the Rose Bowl when he was stripped by Troy Dye. Dropped a swing pass in that game as well. So I think Taylor, great runner, tested phenomenal, 4-3-9 at 226 pounds coming out of Wisconsin. That's why I think he's a second rounder, not a first. I think uh, Dobbins is an early to mid-second as well. I think Swift, I'd say because of the completeness, is intriguing for Tampa Bay at 14. Miami, whether you look at 18 or 26. And guess what? The problem is, if you don't go to Tampa or you don't go to Miami, what other team is going to prioritize running back to take a DeAndre Swift if Tampa and Miami don't? That's the, the tough part of a mock first round. You know, you know uh, Swift is one of the best 20 players in this draft right now on the big board. For me, it's at 17. It's just finding a fit for a running back when most teams are very well fortified at that position. Oh